I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, please spread the word. Share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. That's all it takes. You can follow us on all the socials at Potabing. And if you're up for it, you can support the show by visiting glow.fm slash Potabing. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabing on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a conversation I had with Deepa Purohit. Deepa played Ambujam, Meadow's college friend, on the show. Deepa called in from the city to share her soprano story. I've said this before. One of the cool things about this project and talking to actors that played little roles on the series is learning about them who they are, and what they do in life. Many of them played these characters that have become part of our consciousness, and in many instances, subconsciousness. But they're people who happen to be a part of something incredible. And hearing their own versions of the regularness of life is incalculably satisfying. That's all I got. Here's Deepa. Deepa, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for asking me. You played Ambujam, Meadows' friend at Columbia, in one of the classic episodes of the series, Pine Barrens. What's the story? Yeah, so my soprano story is that I didn't know what The Sopranos was when I was auditioning for it, and I actually did not have an agent or a manager at that time, and a friend of mine who I knew at the time, and I was working on, he was kind of introducing me to the South Asian like actor scene here in New York, because I actually hadn't started um, really pursuing acting till a little bit later when I when I was like out of college, out of grad school. And so I was trying to find my lay of the land in New York. And um, he called me or maybe, maybe he emailed me, but at that time, you know, I don't know how much I was using email. Um, but he was like, Hey, have you heard about this audition with the Sopranos? I was like, uh, no. And I have no agent or manager. And he's like, they're looking for South Asian women and um, you should try to get in the room. I'm like, how the heck am I supposed to get in the room? I don't have anybody. And nobody's like, you know, picking me up for anything and he's like just call and so there was this management company called multi-ethnic management and they were actually running a ton of people through lots of auditions at that time a lot of south asians and um he's like call multi-ethnic and i i didn't i had met with them they didn't really weren't really interested in me and i was like they hate me and they're not very nice like at times they're very rushed and mean and i was like kind of new at the business and i was like i don't know he's like just call them and try to get him in i was like all right so I called them. I was like, listen, can you just get me into this um, audition? And they, for some reason, said, yeah. 
because they'd met with me and they weren't sending me out for a lot of other things. So they said, yeah. So um, that's how I got into the audition. And then when I got to the audition, oh, and that was like my first, I think it was my first role auditioning for television. Yeah. So I didn't even know how auditions worked. So I was like, all right, you know, whatever. So I, I, I just kind of did, did this thing that I would never tell anybody to do now. I practice in the mirror or whatever. And um, I just was like, and it was a really fun script. And so I was like, I'm just going to have a good time with this, you know? And it, there was some like foul language and stuff, which I'm, I'm pretty good at and do all the time anyway. Um, so I just went in there and the casting director was Georgianne Walken and she's definitely a personality. <laughs> um, and so I was terrified, but there was a bunch of South Asian women there and I just went in and I just had a good time. And she's like, all right great do that and I was like well I just did it and she's like okay do that thanks and then I walked out and I was like do that what does she mean I just done it um and then I got a call back and I the call back actually was with I didn't realize at the time once again I, ha I didn't have HBO I did not have cable I had no money to have cable so I was like I don't know what the show is but it's really fun and um it, and at, at that callback was I think it was David Chase Steve Buscemi was there because he directed the episode. Like, everybody was there. And Terrence Winter was there because he wrote the episode. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea who these people were. Um, and then, as I, I remember this moment after... Oh, I, I, was, I was meeting with a friend of mine. We were getting together as actors to, like, put our mailings together for agent, all that kind of stuff that we were doing back then. And um, I got a call on my cell phone, and it was multi-ethnic management. They were like, hey, hi! guess what? You booked the role. And I was like, Oh my God, I booked the role. And I was really excited. Cause I had actually, I had auditioned for like films for, that were happening. A lot of like South Asian themed films that nobody was giving me time of day. And I was like, damn, like they, they did it. I, I got it. You know? And I was kind of elated and I knew it was a big deal because I had booked a role, but I didn't realize until I started, you know, when like people say this about when you get pregnant, like you, everybody around you looks like they're pregnant too. But in actuality it was, it's just your lens has changed. Well, that's what happened with like the billboard of the Supreme. Uh, everywhere I looked, I was like, holy cow, this like, this show is everywhere. I was like walking Times Square. I was like, that's the show. Holy moly. And then people were just like, you just booked the Sopranos. And I was like, what is this show that I just booked? And it's like a pretty small part, but it's a couple scenes as big for me. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how I got it. And I ended up, getting I we I think we had like three days of shooting but the funniest part of it was oh oh one part was is I actually got invited to the table read so by the time I got to the table read I kind of understood wow this is a big show people are getting really excited about the fact I got a role on the show like people like whatever theater people and film people or whatever that I was talking with they're like wow can't believe it and I was like wow I don't know what you're talking about and then when I got to the table read I was just talking about this with somebody the other day. Um, everybody was there except Lorraine Bracco wasn't there. And Steve Buscemi just sort of came up to me and was like, hey, Deepa, how's it going? Um, great to have you here. And I was like, who's this nice man? Oh, he's so nice. I heard people were really mean in this business, and he's so nice. And everybody was super nice. Michael Imperioli was like, hey, hey, nice to meet you. Um, just really great. And then I sat at the table, and then James Gandolfini walked in, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is, like, reeking of charisma. And I, I didn't even understand because I saw the posters. And I was like, why is this guy such a big deal? 
And then we walked in the room. I was like, I have never really experienced anything like this where I don't even know what the show is of this person. And he just is just full of charisma and like sexiness. And I think Edie Falco was there and it was just really fun. I think it was also at a time when the morale was so high on that show that everybody was so nice and they were like having a great time shooting that show. And even during the shoot, it was the same thing. People were just extremely nice and Steve Buscemi was like amazing. And I think I sort of fell in love with him. I was like dating my now husband and he was just like, I think you're in love with him. And I was like, no, I'm not. Well, kind of. Who wouldn't be, right? <laughs> right. He was just wonderful. And he was just such a nice, funny, genuine person. It was hilarious. I was, we were shooting at Pat in Patterson, New Jersey, this, the Miata scene where we like, you know, where I have to be like, fuck you bitch or whatever. Yeah. And um, he was giving um, Jamie Lynn Siegel some notes for that scene because we're sitting in this Miata forever. And it was freezing outside because it was January and like they had like warm pizza and cookies for all these people. It was like crazy. And I'm sitting in the driver's seat. I had to actually drive that car. Um, so I had to drive off in this like ice on this like icy road like a couple times or whatever. I had a good time. And then he gave her some notes and then he came over to my side and he's like, so, um, yeah, fucking bitches are great. Let's go. And I was like, all right, great. Um, so we ran it a few times and all that, but I, I, I had only seen that episode actually when it aired, I was like, whoa, okay. And then I didn't really watch a series actually until literally last year. Wow. Or actually this past year. Yeah. I hadn't seen the series. Hold on to that thought for a moment. I want to parse a couple of things that you said. First, your friend, you just woke up one morning, literally, like the theme song of the show, I woke up this morning and you got on The Sopranos, basically is what you're telling me. Your friend told you about the show. Are you still friends with that person? I'm not. Okay. No, I don't know where he is now. <laughs> he had some sordid stuff going on with him, I think. Gotcha. So he kind of scared. Yeah. But you know, he, but he fulfilled was a great friend at the time. Yeah. He definitely <laughs> fulfilled the role of uh, what you most people would like to define as a friend by helping you become a part of cultural history. Yeah, he totally did. Uh, you didn't know about the show. You said you didn't have cable. Again, you were kind of new to the business, which is why this is such a fun, interesting sort of anecdote to hear you share. Were you culturally aware of the show? Like, were you reading it in the newspaper? Did you like, did you know no. there was, this is how bad it was. Let me tell you, I was on the, when I went, when we went to shoot, I, I forgot what, what I think it was in Patterson. Like we were, I remember sitting across cause we had lunch you know, they serve a lunch or whatever. And I sat across from Steve Buscemi and we were just chatting and he's like, so have you, you know, if you see the show and I was like, no. And he just had like a pause and I was like, I, I might've messed this whole thing up right now. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't have money cable. And I just sort of like, you know, shut up. And I was like, okay, don't tell anybody I've seen the show. This is like the biggest thing since God, like since television, in television history. And you're like, I haven't seen the show. But I literally was like, I don't have money to pay for cable every every month. Like, it's just not a priority right now. Um, and everybody in the TV business, who, if anybody hears this, will be like, wow, what a B. Like, she didn't watch TV. And it's like, you know what? I watched TV all my life and I just didn't have the money. I've heard a few different people say they don't, either they don't watch their own work or they just don't really consume too much of the medium. 
everybody has their media diet, right? And it's not always, yeah. doesn't always involve TV. Um, the other thing that, that kind of like struck me was that you didn't have an agent, you didn't have a manager, but you wanted to be in the business, so to speak. Why'd mm-hmm. you even decide to get into the business in the first place? Where were you school-wise, thought process-wise, family-wise? Like what, why was acting on the table for you? Yeah, so I had gone to, um, I had come, moved to New York to do my master's in public health here in the city. And around that time, I, I, I sort of had my eye on New York. And I grew up in Ohio in a small town called Elyria. And um, I'd always gone to come to New York. And I found my way here through sort of this, like, circuitous pathway. I had actually been in Baltimore as a middle school teacher there for three years. And I was applying to grad school. I wanted to um, come to New York. But I wanted to come to New York to do grad school. But honestly, like, I could have got a, gone to grad school in Georgia or in Michigan. I'd gotten into public health school there. But I was waiting for New York, Columbia, because I was like, I want to be in New York because the arts, because I'd always been into the arts, but never really pursued it for sort of the fear uh, around the stigma of being Asian and, you know, pursuing arts and like, it would be nothing. And why are you doing that? And my parents were not really like, you got to do this. You got to do this. I majored in history. I became a teacher. Like they weren't like, you got to be a doctor, a lawyer. They're just like the arts, like that wasn't going to be a conversation. So when I got here, um, and got past, I actually did finish public health school and I got a job. And during that time I, I was like, I want to take acting classes. And that was sort of in the year 2000. So that was very soon after I got, uh, very soon after I got this role and I trained actually, I, I had been training as an actor in a company called the Harlem theater company uptown. I'd gotten word of it from a friend of mine. Actually, that was in 1997, 1998. Um, and I just started taking acting classes and I really got into it, but I was working full time. And then I was like, I'm going to make the leap. So in 2000, I was like, I'm going to work part time and I'm going to pursue finishing up this acting training that I did for three years, like theater training. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And my parents were like, what? They just, you just finished your public health degree and now you're going to do what? And I was like, I'm going to take the leap. And it was actually one of those moments in my life, like I would go home and I, my older sister and my brother-in-law, they were like, I think they were dating or newly married. They were my biggest advocates. Like they were into it. Every time I went home, my parent, my mom would just be like, I don't know why you're doing this. My dad is just like one more year. That's it. Just one more year. I'm like, yep, one more year. And I just kind of got through it. And the same friend who introduced me to this, you know, this audition, he also told me about this South Asian theater festival that was happening at the Asian American Writers Workshop here in New York City. He's like, you should write something for it. And I was like, I don't write. But I had always thought about, when I was in Baltimore, when I was teaching, I had gone to see Anna DeVere Smith do Fires in the Mirror, and I was blown away by that. And that is sort of like, that was really the turning point. How does she interview people and then become these people? And he's like, and I started thinking about interviewing my family and creating a piece around that. And he said, you should do it for the South South Asian you know, Theater Festival. And I was like, all right. And I started writing. So around the same time, it all kind of came together. But I was still, you know, on the audition circuit. I was writing. And then I also started my own theater company here in New York, too. Um, but I was doing it kind of like let's support my, for my parents. I'm a little bit on their dime and I was trying to just make it here in New York and didn't have a health insurance, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and then this thing popped. Um, and that's when I was like, Oh, 
I'm really interested in this. Yeah. My pathway has changed since then, but yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still in theater. I'm actually a playwright. Um, and I do do acting stuff when people ask me to, but I don't, I'm not out there auditioning. Right You're not now. actively pursuing it. No, because I think over, I did actively pursue it for probably about 15 years and, you know, with small hits here and there. And it was with The Sopranos, bringing it back to this, it was kind of like, you know, they say that about, I mean, whatever, this was not a starring role in anything, but, you know, the people who hit it big, they get their first big thing and then, like, you don't see them for a while because it's, like, it's hard to hit again that way. Like, in my small little world, that's how this role was. But this role is the gift that keeps on giving. I'm telling you, so? every every year I meet someone else or I'm in a new workplace. I've changed my workplace environment a lot or I'm in school or something. Someone will pass me and they'll have some weird smile on their face. It'll be someone I know or an acquaintance and they'll say and I'll be like, I know what they just saw. <laughs> like I just know what they just I know what this conversation is going to be and I'm telling you it's every year since it happened almost 20 years now and yeah. they're like was that you on the Sopranos and I'm like mm, yep that was me <laughs> here we are on the phone talking about it right exactly you know anybody who recognizes you now I would say at this point has seen the show multiple times as I have and, and many of the listeners on the podcast and so there's a connective I can't explain to you it may seem silly but it's very surreal to actually talk to these to you and, and to the characters that made this ensemble cast and this show so good because it's um, it's like my virtual reality in some weird way um, yeah. I, I am a functioning no, adult you. with a with a family and <laughs> and a wife who also went to Columbia for public health. Uh, small world, right. but the, wow. but the show is it's just so real and so honest and and so it's it's great that you get this. You're still getting it recognized as Meadows' friend. Yeah. Any encounters, impressions, or thoughts on David Chase? No, I actually David Chase was not um, there on the set as far as I remember seeing. Um, but he was great in, um, in the, he was just like sitting back in the audition room in the final callback. Okay. Um, and it was only one callback. It was the final callback. Um, but Steve Buscemi was the one who gave the direction and stuff. And right. then, and he was just sort of sitting back and I'm sure they, that's how they made the decision or whatever. But, um, yeah, no, nothing on David Chase, except now looking back, it's really, especially as a writer now, because that's mainly what I'm doing. It's just, and that's why I went back to The Sopranos this year. I was like, you know what? I got to go watch this. And I just sort of was, I was glad. I was glad to watch it so far away from the hype because I was able to take it in for the first time on my own as a writer, also as an actor, but mostly as a writer and to understand and try to piece together what he was and his team were doing. And I was like, wow. This is pretty ground, and I could really appreciate the groundbreakingness outside of it being like the hype of like who's going to get whacked next, you know what I mean, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really is about like the art of it. So I thought that was it. I would say I have, do have a story about Terrence Winter though. I'd love to hear it. As I said, everybody was just so nice on that show. He was such a gentleman. I mean, and when 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 I started seeing him blow up, not just on that show, but like after, I was like oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually met this guy. He's pretty incredible. And he's just like, and his writing is just so bananas. And then you, he's just this unassuming sweet guy mm -hmm. who's just like, hey, 
thanks for your work on the show. And I was like, thanks. So what happened was the name of my character originally was Mahendra. And I told my mom and I was like, isn't that weird? And she's like, uh, that's definitely weird. And I was like, Mahendra's like, you know, an uncle's name, like it's an old time, <laughs> old time South Asian name. And I was like, she's like, you should say something to them. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, that's ridiculous that that's her name. And I was like, okay. So I actually, on the last day that I, when I, when I, um, when I ended and when I wrapped rather, um, I just went up to him and I was like, Hey, it was, thanks so much. This was such an amazing experience. But I just want to tell you that took so much. I was like so nervous to say it, but I was like, I just want to tell you that Mahendra is a guy's name. And he's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, it's a guy. It's like an uncle, like an older guy. Like it's an old name. And he's like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you said something. And so then I think they probably did the looping for, you know, Jamie Lynn Sequel because then they changed the name. And I was like, I don't know where you get Ambrujan because that's like crazy. I don't even, haven't even heard that name. And it's an unusual name, yeah. you know. But I was like, that's fine. I mean, I, she calls me that once and I don't use the name at all. So. Exactly. But I thought it was really cool that they changed it. That is really cool. Uh, Mahindra yeah. is also like a, an automobile manufacturer in India. Um, what happened after the show career-wise for you? Yeah, so that was interesting because I did go out for, you know, TV auditions, but it wasn't one of these things where um, I did act. Oh, this is actually an interesting thing. So I did get called in by this guy to an agency that I actually still work with and I'm not signed with. I have not been signed with them for 20 years. They still send me auditions. They send me good auditions. And right now I'm in. Uh, I gave my MFA in playwriting at Brooklyn College. Got to give a shout out uh, to Brooklyn College. But um, so I don't go out for auditions, but um, they have been sending me great auditions off and on. And my first meeting was because I got um, that role. So he brought me in and he turned out to be kind of like a not not so great guy. I think he got out of the business, so he's probably doing better. Um, Not the nicest guy, um, but he was like, so you've got the Sopranos thing. Let's go. And then I wasn't booking, and at that time, like, I didn't understand, but I wasn't really booking as fast as they would have wanted me to. But they kept me on the roster. We never signed. We have, like, a mutual agreement. It's been great. I've actually booked stuff through them um, in the last five years, even. They sent me out, and I've booked stuff. So um, I got that. (laughs) This is, like, piecemeal, tiny little things. No trajectory here. (laughs) Except that, you know, I got some good television work here and there that were just, like, a couple days here and there on, on TV. But nothing really, like, hit. it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you did The Sopranos, and now, next, this. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I kind of, I was also running my theater company. I was beginning to write, so I had a lot of hands in different pots um, when it comes to the arts. But I think I always wondered, like, I even got on a show, it was called The Education of Max Bickford. And I realized when I got on that set what a special set The Sopranos was and what a special time it was that I got on that set because that was kind of, I mean, maybe people will argue this, but I think it was at the peak of that series, the episode that I was on. It was a peak, it was season, I can't remember, three? Season three. Um, yeah, so they were just kind of like, you know, I think it was at a, a big height. Season three and four were like, you know, it was sure. like all over the universe. Um so I didn't fully understand that until I got on this other set and I think I did a soap opera set and I was like, Oh my God, the energy is so strange. I feel so distant. Like Steve Buscemi was just like right up there. It, they were also shooting it. Like they shoot film mm-hmm. versus, 
they were shooting like TV with multiple cameras. And so then with the multiple camera thing, you don't get to see the director. You don't even know where they are. Like I, I had never been on sets. Like I hadn't been trained to be on TV, you know? So it's just like, when I got on these other sets, I was like, what the heck's going on? Like I, people are whispering. I don't even know what people are saying in the dialogue. You know, it was just strange. So it was, I, it just made me realize how unique that actual experience was. And because of my naivety, I just was able to really enjoy it. Whereas when you go on as a guest or as a co-star or whatever, you have a couple lines and you cannot fuck it up. Otherwise, like they will go bananas. Um, And so there's a lot of pressure. Whereas I just felt like freer because I was just really naive about it, you know, and, but it shaped me, you know, in terms of like, under like later on having these smaller roles really shaped me understanding you know what your place and role in this corporate system really is because the sopranos set wasn't like that you know it just i mean it may have been for other people but for me i didn't experience that way and look i only have like two scenes like yeah. it wasn't like i was in there you know guesting for the full episode or something i was in the subplot <laughs> no but you you use the word energy and you picked up on that energy in that just in that little time you were there and it's a great word that you used i love that totally how did you get into coaching? Yeah, so I, um, you know, through a series, like really my training as an actor, my my disappointments and failures as an actor um, in terms of like not booking, not doing these things, like fucking it up in auditions, like all this stuff where I started to freeze up. It sort of frees me up, which is why I needed some distance from it. Like I didn't understand where my voice was anymore. And where I realized in retrospect, I kind of came upon coaching. I was working, I work at Teach for America, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, I am an alum of the program. That's how I worked in Baltimore City. Um, and I'm very much connected to a lot of the alumni of the program. Um, and I was working as an assistant to my executive director here in New York. And I was like, look, you're telling stories, but and you have powerful things to say, but let me help you figure out how to do it. So it's sort of a mixture. And this was about seven, eight years ago. This was kind of a mixture of my training and my inability to move forward as an actor and my blockages myself. I was able to sort of see it in other people. And so I started working with her on storytelling, public speaking, and it just caught on like wildfire. Like people are crazy about it and they want it. But I work particularly as a coach for people who work in education um, but particularly people who are working in, in low-income communities and on, on behalf of kids living in low-income communities. Um, but it's because I know the field really well. I've been in a long time. I've been on the ground in lots of different schools, and there's lots of uh, nuances around equity um, and race, class, and privilege and all these things that I can kind of coach people towards when they're going out and talking about the work and, and, and making an inequitable system equitable. Um, so that's how I got into it. I just, I coach a lot of executive directors, superintendents, like tons of people who are working in principals, students, even, um, in schools all over the country. So you're a playwright. Do you still have your theater company? No, my theater company, I left about six, seven years ago to really focus on the creative side on writing. And okay. I, was still, I was still auditioning, but really to, to blow up the writing. Do you have any projects in the pipeline or stuff that you're shepherding through the process right now that you want to share with listeners? Yeah, I am. I'm working on a lot of different projects. All of them are undone right now, but um, I have a piece that is um, 
actually based on a, a director came to me, a good friend of mine, Stephen Brown Freed, came to me and said he was interested in adapting an ancient Sanskrit drama. And I said, I'm not your person because I'm not a classics person. He's very much a classic Shakespeare person. And um, he said, but no, I think you should read this drama. It's called The Little Clay Cart. So I read it and it, my mind kind of exploded because I have never really been into Shakespeare. I mean, whatever, I've done it and read it. And, but um, the, the, the story and the poetry and the prose in it was just super weirdly familiar. And even though I hadn't read it before, there's lots of like, I was like, oh my gosh, these are the roots of Bollywood. Um, and so what we decided over a series of a couple of years and I've gotten a couple of commissions to write this piece is that I would not adapt the drama, but uh, take inspiration from the characters of that drama and, uh, and pull them through my own family's migration, which moves from 1950s India, uh, 1960s East Africa, um, 1970s London, 1980s in Elyria, Ohio. And the name of the play is Elyria. Um, and sort of following these folks as they migrate and reconvene in these smaller insular Gujarati communities um, across that diaspora. Wow. And it's in the works now and um, still in development, but I'm hoping, you know, by 2021, we're going to see, it's going to see the light of day. So we'll see. And I've gotten amazing, amazing support, if you put this in there, from the Mai Theater Company, which is like the Asian American largest Asian American theater company lab, writer's lab um, in North America. And I've been part of their writer's lab and um, the company for about five years now. And they've been super, super supportive of, of the process. And I'm excited for what's next with it, especially because it's called Elyria and that's the name of my hometown. And yeah. in theater, it has a lot of other, you know, everybody's like Elyria, like in Shakespeare. I'm like, mm-mm, Elyria, Ohio, old steel town. Old small steel town. Yeah. Very cool. Well, wish you the best of luck on that. Um, I'm going to wrap Thank up you. with a lightning round. Last good book you read? Last good book. Middle Passage, V.S. Naipaul. Favorite music right now? You know, I'm really loving listening to classical music right now. Oh, and I just discovered Calypso. Ideal breakfast? Oh, um... Toast, eggs, either scrambled or fried with, and the toast has butter and potentially Marmite or strawberry jam. And finally, if you hosted a podcast, what would you want it to be about? Jennifer Lopez. Deepa, thank you. Thanks, Vic. It's great to meet you. Likewise. Likewise.